Blog Talk Radio. to the latest Run to Daylight Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Burrows. It's a special podcast. I'm going to be introducing and interviewing Nick Tasso, the inefficient two from Rotoviz. He's an analyst over there. On a night in the NBA where we've got a four-game slate going, and if you got some of the Detroit Pistons, uh, like I do in some of my matchups, I think you're off to a pretty good start, especially if you rostered Stanley Johnson. He is um, already up to 24 and a half DraftKings points. But we're not here to talk about tonight's slate. We're in here to talk to Nick Tasso. Nick, you there? I am here. It's all about me tonight. I like it. Oh, my gosh. I am so into you right now. Um, It's going to go right to my head. Yeah, well... You know, it already went to my head and no one likes me. So uh, imagine if I actually got famous, I'd be in a lot of trouble. So, um, let, you know, well, as um, as I mentioned, you do work for RotoViz, but let's go back a little further. Where are you from originally? And is that where you currently reside or have you moved on to better and newer places? So, yeah, I'm just going to give you the short version. Um Right around Boston. I don't really want to describe exactly where. I've told people where I live. It's Rhode Island. And when I travel the world, a lot of people really don't know where Rhode Island is. They think it's Long Island and it's just easier to say, oh, I'm from Boston. And and that's where I currently reside. So I assume you're from Philly. I grew up in New Jersey, actually, and I live in eastern Pennsylvania because it's cheaper. But I still identify as being a Jersey boy. Uh, I'm in sales. Part of my territory is that area. Did you grow up near Boston? Yeah, in Rhode Island, just about an hour and a half away. Gotcha. Well, you need to come up with some kind of really cool, you know, name like Rumford Johnny so that everyone knows exactly where you're from. There you go. And actually, uh, Rhode Island's AG just said that uh, DFS is not considered gambling, so... I'm allowed to continue to play. Well, that is good news for all the people of Rhode Island. And that is something that everyone who enjoys this hobby, um, I I like to find the argument of is it gambling kind of interesting because anytime I put money up and I know I can lose it, I'm gambling. So 
that doesn't mean that I don't think that DFS should be legal because I'm not a child who needs a rattle taken away from him. I'm a grown man. And if I want to uh, put a few bucks on players, uh, I have no problem with it. What are your thoughts on that whole argument? Do you, uh, do you ever like kind of get like douche chills when the sites talk about how it's not gambling? Well, if you think about it, everything really is gambling. You go to Chipotle and that's gambling with your entire life. So, well, there's no doubt about that. So, I mean, I don't Black go there. Yeah. You, you don't want any of that. No, I mean, now you want to have an inefficient two, go to Chipotle and you'll be knocking off some inefficient twos. Absolutely. So, so yeah, I mean, you could, go ahead. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing. I think at the end of the day, it's all going to get worked out. I was watching uh, Mark Cuban talk a couple weeks ago, and he was just saying how you have to go through these kind of things to get where you want to be. And a lot of times he was talking about his past, and it's kind of happened with him where he's been sued and things like that. But once you get past all that, it's a lot easier because you don't want to come down here, down this road, get pretty big like DFS has, and then – find out oh pull what the new york ag does so as long as it'll 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 get there eventually but right now it isn't I think too so. fun and and i think you know to a certain extent the sites brought it on themselves and you know what i mean i it got to the point where all right i love dfs but enough of the effing commercials um i don't want to hear anymore and it it was a little bit of the wild west so I think that most people who are part of the industry in one way or another think that this, if it does work mm -hmm. out and they come up with some good common sense legislation, it will only make the industry stronger in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. So you grew up near Boston and did you inherit from that fine area a taste for the Patriots and the Red Sox and the Celtics or are you one of the kind of out of the box people who end up living in an area growing up in an area but rooting for other sports teams yes yeah, so I grew up a huge Red Sox fan uh, my dad is one of five and all his brothers and sisters were all actually Yankee fans because that's what their dad was he was from uh, Brooklyn so what part my of Brooklyn was, do you know? I don't know. Both my grandparents were dead before I came around, so gotcha. try to sorry to be morbid there, but it is well. What it but is. even you know, if you really grew up in the area, and I know you didn't, but people who grew up in the area, there weren't a lot of Brooklyn Yankee fans because in your grandfather's day, the Dodgers were there. Oh, absolutely. But I don't know what he was doing back then, to be honest with you. No, well. That's that's all right. So you grew up a huge Red Sox fan. And when did you get into fantasy sports? Yeah, I was really young. I was probably 10 or less. My parents were having a, uh, a, a friend party over. And uh, one of the guys who I would attempt to play golf with, he was just telling me, he's like, oh, I got to get home. I got to go pick, uh, do a fantasy football draft. And that's why I first started talking to him about it. And like I said, I was probably like 10 years old. We're talking a long time ago with Tyrone Wheatley or Wheaton. Do you remember him? I remember Tyrone Wheatley. In fact, yeah. my first year in fantasy, he was 
either the first or second trade I ever made. And boy, I think I got Jimmy Smith in the trade. I started late. I'm 53. How old are you? 27. I still have to think about that. Oh, that's all right. I, uh, when you get older, it's easier to forget things. So you're 27. You started at fantasy very young. Did you go through what I went through when I first got into fantasy, which is uh, uh, all of a sudden, like I'm, I grew up my whole life hating the Cowboys and I found myself trading for Emmett Smith because I realized that I cared more about myself and winning than I did about, you know, those old rivalries anymore. And nothing makes me happier when I'm thinking of talking a trade with a guy and he starts going on and on about how big of a fan he is of a certain team. And he would never, you know, carry anyone from the rivals. And I'm like, man, I am going to just kill this guy in the trade. Did you kind of go through that same process where it's harder to be um, a stone cold fan of a team because of fantasy? Well, I view it as this. One player, they don't let alone make the outcome of game. So if you had Emmett Smith, he could still score three touchdowns and they could still lose. So you could always root for that. So, I mean, when I play a lot of uh, MLB, I'll do that with the Yankees. I don't like doing it, but, I mean, at the end of the day, you got to do what's best for you, especially if you're uh, playing DFS and uh, a lot of things are on the line. Well, when I was a kid, if you had asked me what I want to be, and I grew up in the 70s, you know, it was a different era. I mean, I was the family's remote control. We didn't have a remote control. So my dad, when he wanted the channel changed, he would yell for me and I'd come running and I was literally the remote control in the family. So it it was a different world, but, you know, things have come a long way. And as I said, I, I like winning myself personally. And what I wanted to be as a kid was the general manager. I didn't want to be this, not that I didn't want to be the center fielder for the Yankees, but I guess I realized that that wasn't going to happen And I was always fascinated by picking players and free agency. I went to the NFL draft in New York back in 1987. So it's always been kind of a thing for me. So I made the transition from fan of one team to fan of my team pretty quickly. Uh, But not everyone is able to do that. So you were a big fantasy fan for a number of years. And then when did you transition into daily fantasy? That happened about uh, about a year ago. I was on vacation uh, in Hawaii, and I was talking to my brother. And he was just sitting there while we were having some fun. And he goes, oh, I won $4 or, or whatever off like a $2 entry or something. And then he started telling me about it. So then that night I downloaded DraftKings FanDuel and like most people, I played it for a little bit. I didn't put any money down for a while. I just wanted to play and just for fun. So I'd play every day on the NBA uh, free roll they did. It was actually funny. Within like the next four days, I had one. Um, I don't know if you pay attention to any of the free rolls, but on DK, they do the uh, free roll for the big slate of the day. And I think only the top four, four or five, I think, actually win. 
and you just win like a ticket, a $2 ticket to like a steps program. I don't even know if they still do it. They probably do. A and lot of my weird. friends in the 80s got tickets to steps programs, but uh, it was 10 steps, and I was glad to be able to avoid that. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so I miraculously, somehow I put a few players together, and I came in like second. And it was the most craziest thing because all those free rolls have thousands upon thousands of players. So It's ever ridiculous. Since then, yeah, ever since then, I kind of was just addicted to it. And then it took me a little while, but then I finally put some money down and it's fun. I mean, you get into it and you learn new stats, you learn players and it's tough. You got to pay attention to everything. So, I mean, it's definitely something that uh, if you come into it thinking you're going to become a millionaire and not put research in, you're just going to be giving your money away. And even if you do put research in, guess what? You might be giving your money away anyways. So. Oh, there's no doubt. And that's the other uh, shoe as far as the whole, is it gambling? It's both, you know, it's both gambling and a game of skill. And if you don't have, I mean, one of my frustrations is that I've got a family, I've got a full-time job that I do enjoy. I I wouldn't want to give up what I do for a living to be a daily fantasy player. Um, I say that until I win my first million, right? But absolutely. But at the same time, I look at guys like JM to win and guys who are making a living doing this. And I admire their the time that they have to research that I don't have because it really does make a difference. Absolutely. I mean, that's the one thing I struggle to is to find time like you. I work full time job and then when I get home. Uh, uh, throughout the day, actually, I actually am looking and reading up on stats. Uh, but when I have to write articles or whatever, I get home and I just start working on it. And it's just sometimes I don't really have too much of a life as I really want. But then again, I don't have that much of a life anyways. So it's not a big deal for me. But it does seem <laughs> I, like think, I think most of us nerds in one yeah. way or another are, you know, the, are, you know, sports nerds. Um, are like that. But um, eventually I got married and have a kid. I started late. So, um, you know, what what interested me when I, you know, I'm kind of, I'm in sales, I'm kind of a people person. And it's always interesting to me how people get their name. And, you know, immediately when I saw you on Rotoviz and I listened to you, and by the way, I very much enjoy you on that podcast. um, I, was like, huh, the inefficient too. And I said to myself, my guess is it's not about a bowel movement gone wrong. And I'm guessing it's not about, you know, an homage to Dion Waiters. So why don't you tell us how you came about with the name, the inefficient too? So let's start off. I'm not a huge fan of Twitter and I've only recently, I, I actually have to work to be on Twitter. It's really hard for me. Because it's you're, you're a bit antisocial, aren't you? Very much so. And it's just something that I don't really remember most of the time. So uh, when I first started getting into writing for uh, places, I I was just like, well, I really got to have a cool, catchy name. And I was like looking at other people's and I was like, I don't really want it just to be my name. And I was like, that's kind of boring. So I was sitting down. Uh, this was last year. I was watching the... Houston Rockets and the LA 
Clippers game. And they just went so in depth about how basically all the Rockets, they just shoot free uh, threes or they'll go to the rim to try to get free throws or they'll just get uh, down low and try to score that way. And they just really don't have an art of scoring the mid range to kind of the longer range shot, because if you're going to shoot like that, you might as well step a few more feet behind you and shoot a three, which is worth more points. So that's kind of where the inefficient two is that kind of range right, right in front of the three point line. When, if you take a shot there, the percentage isn't that great, especially when you consider step a few more steps back and you could have similar percentage and get one more point extra if it goes in. Well, it's a, it's a very interesting point and it makes me think of, you know, again, my being the remote at home days growing up in the seventies, other than the ABA, there was no three pointer. There was none in college. There was none in the pros. And I think in the pros, it came in 79 or 80 and about 85 to 87, depending on the conference that came in for the NCAA. So I, I, I think it's what's really interesting is when someone does shoot that inefficient too, it becomes a talking point now for analysts. And some coaches really will get on the C.J. McCollum's who – Take, tend to take those types of shots. No, absolutely. I mean, you look at the statistics and it it really shows that you might as well just take the freaking three rather than being a foot behind it. So, Well, and you, you didn't like my Dion Waiters joke? I like Dion Waiters. Uh, He's an really inefficient like too, though. He's the type of guy who can play 37 minutes and get 10 fantasy points. That's an inefficient too. Well, if you want to talk about terrible people who can play 30 minutes and not do anything, don't get me started on Kyle Singler. <laughs> well, I can't handle that haircut. I think when you when you when you choose that haircut in life, you are definitely I mean, the only thing that has stopped Tom Brady in his career was that 6 to 8 week period when he first married Giselle and he had that haircut for a while. Do you remember that? A little bit, yeah. I mean, all of a sudden, Tom Brady couldn't play football anymore, and he got rid of that haircut, and he was Tom Brady again. It was the funniest thing. So you mentioned that NBA was kind of how you got into this. Growing up, were you a big fan of all the major sports? For the most part, yeah. Unfortunately, I've been infrequent with uh, hockey, and I'm at this point where I, I can't even pay attention to it anymore. So, But other than that, MLB is something that I grew up watching almost every night during the summer. So that's where I really know the most. And I kind of, I enjoy it more. Not that I don't enjoy basketball. I love watching basketball games and the statistics, but uh, my first love is major league baseball. Yeah, me too. I, uh, it was funny because I made, you know, when I got into fantasy football, I made a, a deal with my wife. She became my wife a couple years after, we, but we were dating, and I said to her, look, you give me 20 Sundays a year, and I won't follow NBA or MLB, and that deal has been broken this year because I got back into NBA, and I'm sure I'll get back into MLB after dipping my toe in the water a bit, but I haven't watched basketball 
since Patrick Ewing was with the Knicks. And baseball, I was always my favorite. I could still tell you who won every World Series back to 1903. It's like a little parlor trick. But when it comes to What about to 1942? Dia- 1942 was the Yankees and the Cardinals, and the Cardinals upset the Yankees. I think it was four games to two. 1931? Uh, Philadelphia Athletics beat uh, 29 was the Cubs, 30 was the Athletics. Uh, the, the Cardinals upset the, the Philadelphia Athletics in 31. All right. I'm not going to fact check you, but I believe you. <laughs> it's it's true and uh, lefty grove won was the last lefty pitcher to win 30 games in 1931 i think he was 31 and 4 so um i used to be pretty good at that i don't spend much time on it anymore um and that's kind of a long story and it has to do with sport board gaming where i ended up learning all that stuff so when it comes to daily fantasy, do you have one sport? I mean, you're on Rotoviz for NBA, but are you better maybe even at MLB than you are at uh, NBA? Well, see, the thing I like about NBA and uh, the thing I like writing about it is it's a little bit more predictive. You kind of are going to know LeBron will have his nights. KD will have his nights, obviously, Westbrook Curry. So there's a lot more stuff you know. With baseball, because it's a batter can go two for 10 or whatever in a streak, it's, it's a little more difficult. So I do like NBA because you kind of have the same kind of idea every night what's going to happen. And then you kind of look at your uh, fill-in players. But, yeah, I do love MLB DFS as well. It's just difficult. You could have a great lineup that you think, and every single person could go 0 for. And it, it's a frustrating sport. You could lose a lot of money because there's so many more days to be uh, to play. But I do like uh, MLB, too. Um, but like I said, NBA is just – there's more definite than NBA, and that's what I like about it. You you seem like that type of guy that you like certain – like I could see you being the type of guy who, like, finds, like, a favorite food and, like, eats it every day for a week. Did I lose you? I think I did lose you. Hello? All right. So uh, I see Nick there. Are you there? Nick? Interesting. Hopefully I didn't insult him into leaving. All right. Well, we'll see if we can get Nick back on. Sorry about that. Sorry about that, folks. A little bit of dead air time there. We're going to wait for Nick Tasso to try and jump back in. Um, Seems like he couldn't hear me for a while. Try to join again, Nick, if you're – so uh, let's see. I'm interviewing someone who's not there. Should I play music? Will Nick come back? Nick, where are you?
Okay, so a um, little bit. Uh, I don't see you. Okay, I do see you. You there? Hello? All right. We got Nick what Tasso back happened? on the phone. You know what's interesting is I just said something like, uh, you seem like the type of guy who could eat the same food seven days in a row, and then you were gone, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I insulted the poor guy, and he's gone. See, what I thought happened is I thought you were testing me, and you wanted me to just do my own thing. Well, it'll be interesting to hear if uh, what other people heard during that little break. But, okay, so we're going to move on to – the next question, um, you mentioned that you did a little bit of uh, radio in college. Where did you go to school, and, and, and did I get that right? Yeah, yeah. So I went to uh, Southern New Hampshire University, and despite all the commercials, there is an actual campus. It's not just an online thing. So I went <laughs> back, so I went to the online, uh, not online, sorry about that, the actual campus. When I was there and graduated in 2009, when I was there, it was only like uh, two buildings, and then there was a street that had more housing. And now they've redone everything, and it looks a thousand times better. And they actually just uh, yesterday bought the rights to the uh, arena downtown Manchester, New Hampshire, which Verizon Wireless used to own. So I'm sure that was a pretty penny that they had to pay, but we're not here to talk about that. Um, I was the program director for a few years at there. I only went to school for three years, graduated early, but yeah. So I had a show for a little bit there. Oh, that's cool. What kind of show? Was it a sports show or was it other things? It was a little bit of everything. And then some weeks I just decided not to do it. So then I had to reprimand myself and I don't know. I just wish uh took it a little more seriously, but hey, I was in my 20s. Well, absolutely. Um, you know what they call people who are real serious at that age. I think they call them dicks. Um, so how they did probably you do call me that? <laughs> well, they probably call me that even if I don't take myself too seriously. So now you work with Rotoviz. How did that come about? And what's it like working for a douche? So I was just perusing the Twitter sphere one day and I saw that FD. I uh, was looking to potentially start something with NBA. So I sent out an email, went through a couple of rigorous interviews, and uh, we were able to get something done, and I joined the team. So tell us a little bit about Rotoviz's offerings. I'm a big supporter of them when it comes to football. I I think that was the first site that I joined when I – got into DFS seriously over the summer, and I just love their MFL 10 apps. I was completely addicted to MFL 10s, but when it came to NBA, I had already plucked down money on a couple other sites when they got going. So why don't you tell us a little bit about their offerings when it comes to NBA? Yeah, so basically Rotoviz is a uh website uh, focuses primarily on NFL and NASCAR. And then it was just this year that they've added NBA. So we do the daily uh, articles every day for DFS 
kind of highlighting uh, the top plays. I do one pretty much every Tuesday. Sometimes I'll fill in for a couple people. And then they also do like uh, the NFL. They have a lot of uh, interesting things. So like the NBA game splits app, which I believe is free. You can put in a person's name. I use that. Yeah. That is actually phenomenal, to be honest with you. I do a lot of my research with that as well, especially when someone's injured or out. Um, But yeah, so it's just kind of a slow thing that they're building up. And uh, the podcast, which is three days a week, I do the recording for Monday. And then there's also a Wednesday and a Thursday, uh, Friday show. So we basically wanted to hit up the bigger slate, typically. And well, we- I, I tend to, and that and that is typical. And it's why sometimes the mauler and I will come on on a Tuesday or a Thursday or a Saturday or a Sunday because there's not a lot of podcasts. But one thing I, I do want to hit on that Rotoviz splits app a little more. And basically what Nick is saying is, let's say you hear news that player X is out hurt today. You can go to the Rotoviz splits app um, for the NBA. It's a free app. And you could put in that player who's out and then one by one go through every player on the team. And it will tell you, when both of them have played during a certain period of time, how many uh, DraftKings points they score with that person in the lineup and without them. And it can really give you a great, great advantage when it comes to picking who to play when someone is injured. Did I get that pretty close? Absolutely. The thing also I want to add too is it's not just when a player – is out. It's also um, you can do it to like check to see when the over under is a certain amount or the team total or the point spread. You can see their last uh, matchups against opponents. Um, so like if you were looking to see Hassan Whiteside last time he played, say Detroit, you could look that up. And then that I think the the uh, seasons go all the way back two thousand and. Ten, I believe so. I think even you know, further. I think even further. Oh, I, I'm looking at it right now. It only goes 2010. Unless you found a way. No, 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 no. No, but yeah, it's just a pretty useful tool, um, and you can just change so many things with it. So I definitely like using that. It's, it's very simple too, and they, you can add what you want to look for. So if you were just looking for defensive uh, stats, so like steals, blocks, rebounds you could put into your little equation. That's just what you want to look for. Say you didn't care about the minutes played or the points, um, or you can look up field goals and there's a lot of different stats you can play around with. You could actually do that. If you were bored one day, you could just play around with this all day, to be honest with you. Well, and that goes back to how I just don't have enough time. So I'm not going to bore you with that anymore. So you do the pod once a week on a Monday What's your process for coming up with those picks? Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So typically I don't always, I don't usually have the big slates, like the 11 games, uh, 10 games. I usually get anywhere in between like the five and the eight games. So it's not too bad. Um, So the first thing I like to do is do a lot of research the day before, uh, even though if there are games played on Sunday where the players are in, it's a little bit difficult, but 
it's not too bad. I look at, uh, especially late at night, I'll look at the statistics uh, for the Vegas odds, I mean, and that's where I kind of start my research. I'll look at all the odds. I'll see what games I kind of want to target. And then I kind of go from there. Uh, we keep it about a half hour, so it's not a very long podcast. No, so I, right. I love I love just in general Rotoviz. I had Matt Friedman on, Friedman on, and uh, and you know it's like yeah, anything over thirty five or forty minutes and you lose viewership. And there's a very famous website that just got a lot of money from a very famous man who has an NBA podcast, and it goes on for I think three years. Um, I grew a beard once during the podcast, so. I, I do appreciate that your podcast is kept to about a half hour. Well, thank you. So, yeah, so we hit up a couple uh, spots, uh, a couple plays at each position. I like to kind of at least do one play that's kind of lower owned at each position. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But so I like to do, I give uh, my thoughts on that. So I first start off, like I said, going through the Vegas odds, and then I just go from there looking at specific plays, specific matchups, and I keep an eye on recent game logs. I mean, I don't really look too heavily on them, but what I will do is if I see any trends with minutes, because minutes is a huge thing in NBA, so if I see someone randomly got 25 minutes for two straight games and they're still under price, that would be a guy I typically go for. That makes a lot of sense. Now, where do you get your information on minutes, or do you just go, go to box scores? I go to boxers. I'm on basketball reference a lot, to be honest with you. Yeah, they that's a, a great of... place if you want to learn who won the, the NBA in 1964. And we do have stuff for 2016. They update pretty quick, too. Yeah, it's a good site. I, yeah, I, I, I use that for all sports. Yep, I use that. Um, sometimes ESPN, too. And then I, I have... Uh, some Vegas sites I'll check out and then just kind of go from there. And, and sometimes what I'll do is when I'm, I'm starting to think about uh, recommending a play, when I look into it, sometimes like it does uh, in most sports, I'll realize it's not as good of a play as I thought it was. And then I'll have to uh, find someone else. Well, I, I do appreciate that pod for another reason. When I first started, I mean, and we're talking about like, I didn't know anybody, right? But I, I was addicted to DFS already from the NFL and just wanted to play. I could listen to your pod and pretty much, you know, jury rig a lineup and listen to the, you know, watch the grind down on Roto Grinders and make a reasonable lineup. And it's a great way to get some picks. And I think that the theory, I, I like your podcast because it, you do incorporate the low price. So let me ask you, when it comes to building an NBA team, do you start from the value up or do you kind of pick your core plays that you know you want to go with each day and then look to find the best uh, ways to fill out those lineups? So this is kind of a cop-out answer, but it really depends on each slate. Uh, on typically on smaller slates, it's a little more important to, in my opinion, to get those higher priced guys that you have a really good feeling are going to put up 60 or 50 fantasy points. So like on a slate like today, Thursday like with, uh, yeah, James Harden, that guy who I kind of want to 
focus my lineup construction on whether it pays out who knows but that's what i kind of do and then smaller ones it is a little bit hard to find value sometimes but typically there's always a lot of players who are injured which will open the door for other players yeah well and i think a good dfs player has to be a lot like um a good cornerback in football you know, you could get burned one night, but you can't lose confidence and you have to trust your process because you're going to have, you're going to get beat. Oh, absolutely. Like, uh, what was it? I think Monday night or it was Sunday and Monday when I was playing the slates, uh, I got burned by Westbrook, I believe. And then I also with, uh, John wall on Monday, he played well, but it just wasn't nowhere near what I was expecting. So you go into the slate yesterday and on most of my cash teams, I decided that I wasn't going to play any of the top point guards and that did not turn out well. So, no, I, I all day yesterday, I was torn on Steph Curry and I ended up putting him in one lineup with Draymond and John wall. And of course it was one of those tournaments where you have to be in like the top 5% to cash. And I just mm-hmm. missed, but um, yeah, that's the other thing is, and you know, Renee Miller and her conversations on recency bias, by the way, if anyone is listening to us, instead of checking the news, Clint Capella is cleared to play tonight. Tyreek Evans is out and Noah Vonley is out, which opens up one of my favorite plays of the night. Myers Leonard at center. If you are not playing um, Mr. Drummond, which I also have some of. So you mentioned the, that you don't get the big slates. I know that I'm more comfortable with smaller slates right now. I mean, last night my head was going to explode. And again, it goes back to me not having enough time. But what are your favorite types of NBA slates and which ones do you not like? So... I'd probably say eight games or so is right where I like it. I, as silly as it sounds, I think eleven was just a lot. There was just so many good matchups and all, and at every position that you just you couldn't really go wrong, except if you took uh, what I did and just not play any of the point guards. But <laughs> or if you're like point. me and you went heavy with Miles Turner when he finally yeah. turned bad. Yeah. So I mean, I like the eight game slates. Five game slates, four game slates are pretty good too. I try to, I'll play low volume in like three game slates, but it also depends on what teams. So, I mean, you could have eight game slate and you could not like any of the teams, but you have a five game slate tonight and you got Houston plays fast. Phoenix plays fast, terrible defenses in the Lakers and Pelicans. So, I mean, there's really a lot to like uh, for fantasy value on this slate. So do you tend to like when, when you see a game like last night where golden state and Washington, the pace, the, the, the Vegas total was just through the roof. When you see something like that, what's your initial thought and how much do you worry about blowouts? Something that someone told me a while back was there's a, if, the team is to be blown out. There's a reason they are getting blown out. So I think it goes back to Curry, where if the team's going to get blown out, there's a good chance Steph Curry 
if uh, the Warriors are blowing them out, kind of is the one who did a lot in that game to get them ahead three quarters. So, I mean, it, it goes hand in hand. It sucks if your player is on fire as 45 fantasy point, And then in the fourth quarter, the coach chooses to rest them because they're up a lot. But at the same time, you still got 45 fantasy points by a player. So I don't, I used to think it was a huge thing, but I don't really think about it anymore unless it's something like the Spurs where they're up by 20 and everyone just sits for the rest of the game. And the well, that, that's a combination so. of age and blowout. Yeah. So, and, and that's another thing too. A lot of people focus on back to backs. And I, I mean, I just, I don't think it really affects them too much if they're a young first, second, third year player, rather it would Tim Duncan or Dirk Nowitzki. So everyone just to have the notion, oh, well, I'm not going to play him because he's on a back-to-back. I mean, I think that's kind of wrong. Yeah, I saw an old creaky fence in my backyard yesterday, and I said, hi, Dirk, how you doing? <laughs> you see uh, Kareem Abdul-Dabar said uh, some comments about Dirk, how he was never an elite player or something like that, or dominant, I think he said. Well, uh, you know, again, one of the most boring conversations to me is who's the best of all time. You know, the old time guys are always going to say that they were the best, but then you go watch them play and you say, they just didn't move like the guys do now, or they're yeah. half the size or, you know, I mean, I saw George Gervin the other night and he, he looked like a strong breeze would knock him over. So I think you can only compare people versus the time that they played. Absolutely. And personally, I just, growing up, I never really thought Dirk was in that level. I think because of his longevity, he is now. Um, but when I was just watching, it just it never came to mind who are the one of the top players in the game. But No, I, I wouldn't put him in that position. I mean, as much as I don't like the conversation, some things are obvious. One thing I will, you know, with me, it was Patrick Ewing. People were always like, well, how do you view Ewing? I would always say that he's a, he's a very good but not a great player because, to me, a great player is really good in the clutch and consistent. And Patrick Ewing was meh in the clutch. He was good some days. He wasn't good. You know, he just wasn't in that Jordan, um, Charles Barkley. There was there's certain guys who were much better at the end of games than Patrick was. And I, I just look at Dirk as a, you know, I don't think he had the elite talent of a Patrick Ewing, but end of the game, he was pretty elite. Yeah, that's true. You know, so different guys are, you know, the, that's the thing about Jordan. Jordan was just good at everything. Um, I think people are under, are underestimating how good Kobe was though. Um, I, I think, I think, I think Kobe was just about as good as anyone. So, um, have you heard my podcast with the mauler? Yeah, a little bit. I listened to it earlier in the week. Uh, it's pretty unique. I do like how you guys kind of just make a team right there. Would you, uh, consider coming on when, um, uh, maybe, you know, we were talking about some hot three-way action earlier. Um, maybe I'll have you back and, uh, we could do a pod with the mauler. Would you be interested in that? Absolutely. As as long as the fans are okay with that, I don't. I need to be. Uh, I need to be voted in. I'll have in. to check with both of them. Alrighty. Um, well, I, I'm really glad we didn't get to everything on my list, Nick. But that's always kind of the way it works. 
maybe uh, we can do another cast where we kind of get through some more things about that. But definitely, I want to set you back up and have you come in and do one with the Mauler and I. I mean, we actually, you know, it's going to cost you a couple pennies because we actually put our money into these lineups. And uh, we hit for 3K on Saturday, and he had the money in his account because we played on my uh, on my username. And he had his, his money by within 24 hours. So um, we're very much interested in having you do that. I want to thank Nick Tasso for coming on. Uh, you can find him at The Inefficient 2 on Twitter, which he doesn't like. And Nick, thank you very much for coming on the Run to Daylight pod. Thank you for having me. Oh, it was awesome. Um, I think we went the distance. Okay.